0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, we're glad to have you listening in today. And this is always a, a fun thing. And today it's sort of a, a mixed thing. It's the end of one era and the beginning of another one. And uh, on the line with us today on the, what was the NSPS hour is now the land surveyors hour and um we have the host of the nsps hour uh, former host uh mr kurt sumner on and uh he's the guest of our new host of the land surveying hour mr tony nettleman and uh i should say dr charles nettleman but uh Anyway, we're glad to have Tony on, and Tony taking over the uh, reins of the Land Surveying Hour, and um, welcome both of you to America's Web Radio on Labor Day. Good morning.
0: Well, welcome to the new show. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, It's always a little bit um, scary when something changes, but uh, I'm excited for a brand new show, the Land Surveyors Radio Hour, and... uh, What, uh, there's no better person to interview for the new show than the person who ran the NSPS radio hour for many years, Kurt
2: Sumner. So, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Tony. Uh, By the way, before we get down the road too far, uh, it may or may not be worth anything to you as you go ahead, but, uh, as, you know, as the show progresses, and I'm not sure what your timing is, if it's every week or whatever your schedule is, but, Um, Anytime that you uh, have an interest in doing it, I'm I'm happy to hook you up with people I know that that you might want to have on the show or if somebody has something interesting to say, um, I'll certainly let you know about it. So I'm sure you'll be able to find guests on your own. But if you ever think you want want any assistance in doing it, I'm really happy to help you out.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. You know, it's always – I was looking back at some of your archives over the years uh, for your show – And the variety of guests was always just fantastic, you know, practicing surveyors, academics, business owners, employees. I mean, it was a really well-rounded guest list. And I hope we'll continue on with that tradition and just be able to learn from all of these people's experiences.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And another thing that that I think will be helpful is we can um, maintain a relationship for you um, with um, the guys at NGS, you know, they're they are really good about coming on the show and talking about whatever's going on, you know, the 2022 thing's coming up. So we've, we've done some talk about that over time, and I'm sure they'll have an interest in, in outreach as well because as, as the time gets closer, then it becomes, I don't know if urgent's the right word, but I think a lot of people will come to the realization, hey, this is really happening. You know how it is when something new's going to happen, uh, you, you think about, yeah, this is going to be new and we got to do this and we got to do that, but you don't really think about it till the day before, kind of. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know,
0: you've got so many urgent things going on you're dealing with, you don't have time for the stuffs coming up in a year from now, and it seems like things get delayed and we all sort of hope that it'll be pushed off by a year or something, but there's some big stuff coming up in surveying, like this uh, 2022 datum And uh, I watched the webinar last month, and it was hard for me to comprehend all the different intricacies of how this, this, you know, sausage is made. So I think that hopefully NGS will be able to kind of uh, put it into terms we can all appreciate and and get ready for this big change.
2: Yeah, and I think they're doing a really good job of that. One of the things that comes with that that I think a lot of folks haven't thought about yet was also the concept of the foot you know, we've always had the survey foot. We had the international foot. We've had this, that, and the other. Um, and so the the concept going forward is because the the difference between um, what we're talking about with the new datum and it's any kind of changeover is that the the difference between what we typically surveyors think of as the foot and the definition is pretty pretty small. So it, it's not like it's going to be. Um, a major thing and, and as a matter of fact uh, Michael Dennis I don't know if you might know Michael but Michael was at our board meeting last spring and sort of out rolling everything out and he was concerned about talking about the foot and and I told him not to worry too much about it because it's not the meter you know when we were yep. trying to do the, the metric conversion then boy that just really got a lot of people been out of shape but but this transition I think will be a lot smoother so again not setting your agenda for, you, but I think that there will be some interest in that topic as we go through the next year or so. Sure, and that can be a very uh, a
0: heated debate, because I've always said, you know, why don't we just go to the meter? But going, You know, they do all their work in meters anyways at NGS, and they kind of convert it over for us, I think, but it's just so, you know, ridiculous to have two versions of the foot and then the meter, and, and that's one of the ways I torture my introductory to survey students is I quiz them on the U.S. survey foot versus the international foot, and most of the time right. it doesn't matter. But if you're in yeah. state plane coordinates, you have, you have a million number, you know, million digit number, and you're doing the wrong conversion, then you get
2: into some major problems. Right. Yeah. And and that that's easier to, to deal with. I, know I started to say easier to comprehend, but <laughs> easier to deal. It's easier to deal with um, with you know all the. Technology we have today—you know—it's not like it was years ago when that kind of computation would just scare you right out of your mind. If you—if you, if you if it wasn't something you did on a regular basis. Uh, sure. So I, th- I think I think that'll be a big help as well. And speaking of education, by the way, I know you've got the the program going, uh, and from what you and I've talked about over time, it sounds like it's starting off on on pretty good footing yeah it's great uh... you know i opened up a one-year
0: certificate of land surveying engineering which uh... just got accredited and approved by the texas workforce commission in may i think and we took in our first student as kind of a test subject to run all the courses to make sure it's all good but you know it's amazing how much time it took for the government regulators to approve And now we're working on an associate's program coming online in December, I think. So uh, I think the surveying part is the easy part. The regulatory and business part is the difficult one.
2: Yeah, and I think that's probably always the case for those of us who are mathematically inclined but not necessarily uh, uh, criteria uh, or the, the kind of regulation that we have to deal with sometimes so uh, there's no question about that. And so and you know, you and I've talked about this before, and uh, I really think that this a lot of the future for us. And I think a lot of the people who are into the distance learning, even at the universities, will tell you the same thing. That you know, there's a thought out there that that I've always had in terms of finding the next gen- the next generation. We really want to go hard after the young people and. You know what we're doing in SPS. We're at the grade school level at this point with Get kids in the survey, or at least uh, you know, pre-high school. Um, I love that. And, yeah, I've seen some of the materials, and they're they're like they're A plus materials.
0: I, I really think you're going to capture a lot of people with that get kids in the surveying initiative.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And and that still may not be enough. And and so this concept that we're now going to be offering a broader range of education opportunities to get people prepared that can be uh, accessed by those already working in the profession. You know, I've talked about that before. You know, that's kind of was my background, but I, I worked for two three years out of high school before I went back to school to, to become a surveyor, but uh, there were limited options back then, but I think this, this distance thing that's going on across the country, your program and the ones at the universities, I think it's just going to open up the door for a lot of people that are already interested in I just hope that we'll focus it that way and take advantage of it. I think so, too, and
0: you you know, my dream is to have an always available, high-quality education for anybody that wants it at a fair price. You know, they want a bachelor's, an associate's, a certificate. They want their continuing education or test prep for surveying. You know, whatever they want, it's available to them, and it's high quality, it's made by national authorities, and it's inexpensive. And if we can do that, I really think we'll open the door to, you know, a lot more people because a lot of surveyors want to get an education, but they're too busy working, you know, 10-hour days in the field to move across the country to some major university.
2: Exactly. And, and I honestly think you'll find that there may be people in that have gone through university in a different curriculum. I get calls about this from people from time to time where they say, well, I went to school to do this, but, you know, i kind of like to do something, and surveying sounds really interesting, Um, but, you know, it's a whole different transition, so I think, again, you might have people that start out in different careers who find an interest in it, and then they'll have the opportunity to pick up what they need to combine with their previous education to still be able to get in.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. And uh, when I worked at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, we had a one-year post bac certificate. So if you had a bachelor's degree, come in, get 32 hours, and sit for the Texas exam. And there were a ton of people who were like ecology majors, German polka history majors, whatever, that couldn't really find their calling after their bachelor's. And they said, I'm going to get a little more practical this time. And even before they graduated that year, they had jobs waiting
2: on them, and they were good money. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were. So um, I know we only got a couple minutes left before the break here. I'm kind of watching my clock as well. Sorry, that's the old host in me. I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm open to talking about whatever. I know you want me to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that's going on in NSPS, and I'll do that. Um, I think I think it'd be great for the audience, maybe people who don't know you and your family history and your background to hear about that because, to me, that's a really uh, interesting and exciting thing that that not too many people share with you in terms of heritage <laughs> when it comes to surveying. I mean, you know, a lot of people who, who uh, work for their, their dad or something and, and go into the business, and that's been sort of a historic thing or maybe end up going to college though their dad was doing surveying. But um, I think the, that that's a great story that you have, too. Well, you know, we only have about one and a
0: half minutes until our break. But just quickly, um, I started serving with my grandfather, Walt Robillard, many, many years ago when he was a consultant after working for the Forest Service for a career. And I, I got to, you know, work on really complex boundary title easement disputes when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. And a lot of people get the technical side of surveying first and then go into the legal in college or or as a PLS. But I sort of got the legal first as an attorney and then um, got the technical side as I worked in the field for many years. So it's been such a a great honor to kind of edit the the textbooks like Clark and Brown, even as a teenager with uh, Mr. Robillard. But uh, now... I do a lot of consulting, just like we did uh, before, sort of following in Walt's footsteps and also teach a lot of college courses. So uh, one of the best things about that is being able to share these crazy stories with my students so they never have (laughs) to do the mistakes. You know, it it just drives a stake in your heart when you see a surveyor pay out a seven-figure settlement from an insurance claim. And I hope... If I tell those stories to my students, they'll learn what not to do. But we're on our break in just about 20 seconds. So if I haven't said this before, Kurt, thank you so much for being our guest. And uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back.
1: Quick thanks 4380387. Or go to quickstate.com. That's q u i k s t a k e.com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. Quickstakes does your survey supply dealer have quick steaks? If not, demand that they start carrying quick steaks. Did you know that quick steaks are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back-friendly steak. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank
0: you for listening.
1: And welcome back to the Land the Land Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio with our new host, Tony Tony Nettleman. And, uh, gosh, Tony, you just couldn't decide what you wanted to be. You're an engineer, surveying engineer, licensed in a number of states. Uh, Texas, my home state, as a matter of fact, and uh, we're we're very proud to have you hosting the show. You're licensed in Florida, California, New Mexico, South Dakota. Uh, You just the only place you don't mention is the swamp, but I'm sure you could get away with it. And you're also an attorney, a licensed attorney. So you just can't decide what you want to do, can you? What are you going to be when you grow up? Well.
0: I don't know. I, you know. I don't know where I'll be. When I grew up, but I'm still figuring it out. You know, I love taking tests and sharing my um, experiences with other people. And in fact, I'm just about to launch a, a vlog series where I kind of video log all of my experiences getting licensed in each state. So I, I'm entertained by exams, and, and I, I hope before I die, I'll be licensed in
2: all fifty states.
1: Well, that uh, that's. Quite ambitious, and I'm sure if you need any tutoring or anything like that, Kurt would raise his hand and uh, tell you how, what to do in Virginia or something.
0: Well, Kurt has a lot of common sense, so I'm always leaning on Kurt's common sense to figure things out. He's a very <laughs> smart guy.
1: Yeah, he is, and uh, he got away from us, but that's uh, we still got him sort of. But anyway, we're glad to have you. <laughs> glad to have you taking over the reins. And uh, one of these days, when you're down here in Atlanta, we'll uh, put the video camera on you, and uh, we'll just we'll really sit around the round table and have fun. Maybe we can get you and Kurt down at the same time. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun.
0: That would be amazing. You know, I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey, the radio personality, and he broadcasts his radio show on YouTube every day and the video quality and the studio he has just makes me drool. It's incredible.
1: Well, we uh, ours isn't quite that elaborate, but uh we don't believe in killing a fly with a sledgehammer, but at the same token, we are on YouTube. In fact, I'll, I'll put out a, a remark right quick. We're on every podcast server that we know about, uh, Spotify, up and down the gambit, I, iTunes. This show will be archived... Um, tomorrow and we uh, will be available for listeners uh, anytime they want to want to download it and uh, if if for some reason we're on not on your podcast player please let us know and we'll get on it immediately but we're on uh, we're on everyone that we know about and uh, we're the largest That's great the largest producing podcast player uh, radio station in the country Uh, no one else touches us with the number of shows that we uh, we do and submit and that we do ourselves so uh, you can listen to Tony and Kurt tomorrow on any of the stations you want to so with that I'll let you all get back to the business at hand
0: thank you David Uh, what a gift uh, Kurt has given us over the years you know there are so few resources about land surveying you know um blogs or radio shows or even magazines and what a gift so again kurt thank
2: you for all the work you've done over the years oh, it's been my pleasure it's always been fun for me it never felt like a job at all it was just uh, fun to do and always find interesting people to talk to you know you that's one of the things one of the great things about traveling around all over the place you you run into so many great people and have like you all you've said everybody's got a story to tell and uh, so it's, it's always good to be able to do that. By the way, uh, getting back into my interviewer mode again, I know I'm interested, and everybody else probably on the show is interested, too. How is Walt doing?
0: Walt is doing great. He spends his days watching Matlock and uh, gardening. He's kind of <laughs> homebound at this point, but he is taking an ethics course at the local senior center trying to improve himself, and uh, that's classic Walt. And he's doing oh, great. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Now, is he going to help you out, some on what you're doing? Right, Absolutely. Maybe I'll uh, do Walt, that, now. Okay. Yeah, Walt is teaching
0: the Introductory to Surveying course, and he's got some life lessons for everybody to share with. So he's an instructor at the University of uh, Nettleman Institute, and uh, I really hope that even though he is 90 years old, he can still share sort of nuggets of information with the students and uh, do what he loves to do, which is stay busy.
2: Yeah, you I, I'm not sure if the term was used before, but icon is certainly a, a term for him. Uh, I, I, anybody, I'm, I'm 71 years old, and, and even people who came along and I did, uh, you know, early on in our careers, we we knew who he was. We might not have known him at the time. I had the great pleasure to get to know him over time. Uh, I had a lot of fun uh, chatting back and forth with him, but um, it's it that that's quite a an accomplishment, so to speak, if to have him still be able to to be able to participate
0: absolutely you know he's sort of a non-traditional educator because he didn't really teach at the universities he taught you know CEUs he wrote books articles testified things like that but uh, I understand how much of an impact he's had Uh, last year I was at the Mississippi conference and I had one of my students come up to me and the student was a pretty good student you know 10 years ago in the bachelor's program at Troy and you know, I wouldn't say he's a great student. He's a pretty good student, but he came up to me and he was licensed. He had his own business. He had a family. And I think, wow, this is amazing! What a what an impact this education has had on on uh, his life. And the same thing for Walt. I have many people who call me uh, attorneys and surveyors, and they say I saw Walt in 1965 at a seminar he was teaching, and I decided to change my life. <laughs> And that's incredible, you know. Fifty years later, and they're still affected by his message.
2: Yeah, all of us from back in those days fondly remember the uh, overhead slides. He he had those, uh, and he was always shuffling through those. And it was just he was he was not only educational; he was entertaining to be around. Sure, and a lot of
0: the stuff he's taught me, which is great. And I'm getting ready to really take over his books because he just really doesn't have the, you know, the capacity to continue authoring textbooks anymore at his age. And a lot of the core lessons are in these books. I think Clark, on surveying, has been cited over 100 times in civil court cases. And I write a lot of expert reports every month, and I, I attach the list of cases where these books have been cited and they're just pages and pages and pages of court cases.
2: Oh yeah, speaking of books, uh, I think Trish got back to you last week about the definitions book. We're we're reprinting it with a new cover right now, with the mission of hopefully within the next year having an updated version. But there's still demand for them, so um, we're, we've made a new order with with a little different cover on it, just to demonstrate that uh, you know we've we've done a few things, but Primarily that, that um, rewrite, so to speak, is going to be going on during this next year, and hopefully we'll have the new version out. As you well know, there's terms terms change, or the, the way people interpret them changes over time, and then all the new terms that have come along. That, see, that version, I think, was an 05 version, if I'm correct. So, yeah, there's been a lot changed since then. So just for your audience, uh, when people are looking for the definition of the book, it will have a little different look if you order it. but it still have the same content probably for another year. Now, who is going to be updating that book, Kurt? Well, that's a good question. We're in the process of putting out a, a, a request for proposals of sorts to uh, try to find the, the right people or the right person to do that. Uh, the last time it was done, and there's still some discussion about whether that might occur again, there was a group of students at University of Maine um that were were led by a professor to do the revision that was the 05 revision um and so there's discussion about well do we want to go back that route again but i think what's going to happen is there'll be an rfp that will be put out in general uh not just to uh universities but to other folks who may have an interest in providing that service so um that's all still being discussed at the moment and we didn't have the answer yet so that's why we decided to go ahead and do the reprint so we could keep up with with orders between now and when the revision but that's a good I, I idea you. you can actually yeah go ahead i was going to say that i buy
0: these things in 500 box units and i can't keep them in stock i don't know who's buying them and for what reason but i have one young lady in my office and it seems like all she does is repackage and ship off in books <laughs> it drives us crazy
2: yeah, and, and that's, you know, we've had that experience over time as well. Um, uh, there's a few booksellers that get them, but a lot of people order them directly from us, too. So, yeah, they, they've been very, very popular, and we've reprinted that thing a number of times. And it's just, it's just time to update it, as you know. I agree.
0: A, a lot of terms are really good, you know, legal terms, but there's a lot of new technology that's just not in the book. Because uh, think of laser scanning, drones, uh, all kinds of things that were not around in 2005 that have just taken over in the past one or two decades. And, but it's such a handy book. I cite it all the time, and I think it's so important I give my students the copies for free when they buy test prep items because a lot of the surveying exams are just pure definitions.
2: Right. Yeah. And speaking of but, surveying exams, I, I don't have another question for you. What do sure. you take, what's, what's your take on the latest uh, situation in Texas with the licensing board and it kind of going back, I don't know, within or uh, among the, the engineering board when it was a separate board? Um, I, I don't know enough about that to know what the impact looks like it might be going down the road, and maybe you don't either. I, I was just curious if you had an opinion about that. Well, you know, being an attorney, I have an opinion about everything. So what.
0: <laughs> But the, pr- the problem is, as you get a little bit older, you realize, you know, your opinion counts, but you're, there's no one answer. You know, what is the ideal level of serving education in a certificate, a bachelor's, an associate's? I don't know. And I, I want to see some studies, maybe by some labor statisticians or something, which shows how degrees benefit surveyors. Because uh, a couple years ago, I would say a bachelor's for every surveyor, but... A lot of people's circumstances are different, and um, being able to factually back up what degree is required to practice is a a really deep question, but it's 27 uh, past the hour, so I think we're going to go to our next break. Is that right,
2: former host, Mr. Sumner? Sounds good to me.
1: 800 438 387 or go to quickstate.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast
0: Network.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Uh, My uh, guest today is uh, Mr. Kurt Sumner of NSPS. And, you know, I've always thought of NSPS as a liaison organization. You guys talk to the state societies, you talk to individual surveyors, you talk to the government, but tell us, what does NSPS
2: do? Well, I like to think of uh, of NSPS as sort of a glue, uh, an adhesive of sorts that that binds the profession together, and an overall sense. Uh, one of the things that we're really fortunate about in the U.S. is that we have, for the most part, really strong surveying associations in each of the states, um, and that that goes back decades. Um, I know in my own, in my case in Virginia, our association's been around for since the early part of last century, probably maybe in the 30s or 40s, um, and that, that's true to a large degree across the country. And those, those organizations have historically um, dealt with issues that were of interest to surveyors in the state as you would develop relationships with the licensing boards uh, to try to uh, uh, have a representation there. Um, I know licensing boards usually have some number of professionals, and they have some public members. And we've we've always been lucky in my home state of Virginia from a licensing board perspective because from the very beginning the the engineers, architects, and and surveyors all have equal numbers on the board. And when I first got involved in NSPS, I assumed that was true everywhere, and then I found that it isn't true anywhere. Actually, (laughs) I don't think other than in my home state, and so. Just the idea that you have a, a really strong group of surveyors who are interested in the profession and well versed and well spoken, uh, representing our profession in that way uh, at the licensing board level, and then as you know, as time has gone along, um, everything changes, and uh, so our relationships are strong there. But now, and for the last number of decades, we've needed a strong national voice that could be a, a, a cohesive voice and one that's representative of the profession in general on the national level, whether it's legislation or regulation or whatever the case may be, um, and so we didn't really have that. We had American Congress on Surveying and Mapping, which was a broader entity covering what were then dis- disparate practice areas now today as you know people do pretty much all of those things um at the same time uh in the, the geodesy side and the and the surveying side and all the other elements that were a c s m and uh so n s p s became the strongest among those just because of numbers and because of interest and so um what really happened to the organization was NSPS was about 98% of the membership, but only had one vote among four votes um, (laughs) within the leadership. And so that meant that the specific interest of the surveying profession may not have been um, what we – what what the message was and th- and that's not to say that we're with odds with our our geodesist friends or our photogrammetry friends or we're, we're all in the same business it's just that we have a, sp- a special interest in, in certain things and particularly on the legislative side and so um, an, e- an effort went forward uh, a while back back in the early part of the, the 2010 decade and um, even before that to some degree and that's when uh, NSPS uh, sort of took control of the organization, like I said, because we were 99% of the or 98% of the membership anyway. Um, and we had hoped that our, our brothers and sisters and the other surveying-related professions would hang in there with us and, and all of us focus on the, the, the good of the profession, whether it's land surveyors or geodesy surveyors or whatever the case may be. And uh, but that didn't work out as well as we had hoped. So, but what did happen? That was a good thing. We set up a membership agreement with all the the surveying societies in the country. The only two that aren't part of our joint membership program are California and Arkansas. But the District of Columbia is part of it with their Surveyors Group. So, what that did for us, it, it not only gave us a stronger base from which to draw leadership, it gave us a, a more of a cohesive voice for the surveying profession across the country and gave us a stronger base from which to talk because before we did the joint membership there were only around four to five thousand licensed surveyors who were members of NSPSACSM. Um, but when we made the, the deal with the state societies now our members our numbers are varying from year to year depending on how old people get or people coming and going into depression but just as a good round number, around fifteen to 16,000. Um, That's amazing. Sad part of that, a huge increase. It is. The sad part is, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are 40,000 or 42,000 licensees in the country. Um, and now you have to take, and take into account that not all of them are private practice or not all of them are members of state societies. So you do have that to, to, to deal with. Um, but... We'd like to have more members, but we're really pleased that we've been able to work this arrangement with our state societies because it not only helps from numbers and representation, it helps in the consistency of message that we're all uh, using. So that that was critical for us as a profession, I think, to work with our peers and, and people in our overall realm and people outside of our realm. You know, we deal with other professionals and obviously with the public, so... It was, a, it was a great thing for us to be able to have that, those bigger numbers that gave us more opportunity to have our message heard. I agree. It was a turbulent time, you know,
0: splitting from ACSM. But overall, I think, you know, NSPS and its members are better off for it. And uh, being an attorney, I like to think of these things called model rules. And the model rule is written by kind of a national organization and then it kind of disseminates to all the state bars. And there could be model rules on ethics, professional responsibility, billing, finance, anything. Uh, But having a big organization to author those is a huge help. And at some point, I'd like to see NSPS offering some model rules on education, experience, statutes, of limitations, so that everyone else can pick those up and, and benefit from them.
2: That makes a lot of sense.
0: But uh, speaking of having uh, one vote, kind of an equal vote, I just passed my California exam a few months ago, and I was doing some research in their statutes. They have a 12-person board, and only one person is a land surveyor. And you say, what? I mean, you just can't believe it. What? Uh, so I'm glad to hear Virginia is proportional.
2: Yeah, and um, like I said before, we feel really lucky about that. But as you pointed out, California is, is an example, and and really it's more the norm where you have, when it's a joint board. Uh, you know, a lot of states have gone, still have individual boards, and Texas did until recently, of course. Um, and so uh, I think those work, work better. You know, one of the things that's always intrigued me a little bit, and you may have done enough research to have better information about this than do I. But I know a lot of the states, I'm thinking of Kentucky in particular because I know those guys pretty well, they actually have someone in their, their board office who is he's um, sort of the person who takes on issues that come up related to surveying and actually does investigations when issues sure. come in. And, and not all the states have that. I, and I, I don't have specific numbers on who does and who doesn't. But that sounds like such a great idea that you have somebody there who can look at the case and assist the board, particularly if it's a if it's a mixed board um, of professions, to have a better perspective on you know what took place or what the what the circumstances are, what you know what what's the evidence in the case, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's great. An investigator, and a lot of the yeah. investigators are actually retired detectives. They're not really surveyors. They are law enforcement personalities who come in and investigate. And uh, I wish there were more of those. I know in Texas we have uh, several thousand surveyors, big group of licensed professionals, and I believe there was two either part-time or full-time investigators for the entire board of surveying. And uh, I had to write an expert report against a surveyor who was authoring basically fraudulent elevation certificates and this guy got 13 board complaints and he was still licensed and
2: you just don't know how that happens right you know speaking of elevation certificates that's become almost a specialty these days <laughs> and and one in which we need a lot more people to be participating uh, and and making sure that um uh, we know what we're doing when we go to fill those out you know there's a there's a uh, a certified floodplain surveyor thing that got started down in North Carolina years ago, right after Hurricane Floyd, and it's begun to pick up more steam again now. We had some conversation about it over time, but Tennessee just adopted it recently. There's a number of other states that are getting interested in it. And and for me, one of the things that I've always thought is important, is I think credentialing is important. I think if I'm going to be offering you a service, then... Yeah, I've got a right to do it as a licensee, but I also feel like maybe I should have something that that says I know about that particular piece of, of surveying because you know we're not all doing the same thing all the time. I agree, and you know, you think of you know what's the difference between a license and a certificate?
0: Well, surveyors are licensed; they're regulated by state law. You have to go through all these exams and do your application. But GIS professionals do certificates like a GISP, where it's a nonprofit organization that administers the exam. It's not required. It's just um, you know, it's just good to have. And maybe NSPS could have a certificate in boundary, a certificate in topo, a certificate in flood mapping, and that would just kind of uh,
2: prove
0: your minimum qualifications to do a
2: specialty type of survey. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't have any impact on one's ability to do the work. It's just like anything else. It would be like, well, I've taken the time to do this um, and, you know, to, to create this credential for myself. It would never be intended to say, well, you've got to have this or you can't do the, that particular work. Your license allows you to do it. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm not one that says you must have a certification in a particular area if I if my license gives me the right to do it. Um, but it, it would be an option that people could take if they wanted to show demonstrate that you know that particular element.
0: I agree, and a lot of these things are not compulsory. Just like the CFEDS program from the BLM, you know, CFEDS got started as an idea to make sure the tribal surveyed lands were doing were done correctly. And in the beginning, they said, well, you, you know, surveyors who get a CFED certificate will get kind of a preference in these federal government contracts. Well, that never happened. And then the number of people looking for CFEDs, uh, I think, dropped off substantially because it just wasn't a you couldn't get your money Back or you couldn't make more money as a C-Feds, uh... you know, the general practice. So I think you know marketing the certification and explaining to our layman property owners would be
2: kind of the dip- most
0: difficult part of the entire thing.
2: Yeah, one of the things that happened with the CFEDs, we talk about after break if we want to because we do their their financial work for them and 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 administer their grants and that kind of thing. But uh, one of the things that happened there was that. Um, the purchasing of those services was often done by the tribes, and the tribes are not bound by federal procurement. So they, you couldn't say you must do this; they they, they can do whatever they want, um, you know. But you know, the certification might give you a leg up uh, with with any client, but there wasn't any mechanism to say, okay, you got to hire somebody who has a certification, and so that that had an impact. So, but we can talk about that after the break if you want. Yeah, that's a really interesting subject. I know I
0: uh, I purchased the Fed's materials and I got to the point to take the exam, and I'll tell you what the the three and four hour long videos I mean just shocked your system when you tried to watch one of those <laughs> things. You know, it was I I do a lot of videos uh, for students and I do like fifteen minute tops because if you need to get up and get a cup of coffee or go to the restroom, that's too long of a video. You know. And, but trying to watch a three-hour video at one time is just uh, too much, at least for me. But uh, we've hit our next break, so again, thanks for coming, and we'll be right back.
1: Quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Steaks, your bike friendly steak. You're listening to
0: America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for
1: listening. And we're back on America's welcome Web Welcome back.
0: Right? Uh, <laughs> welcome back. I've got Kurt Sumner with the National Society of Professional Surveyors, a nonprofit organization that works uh, really for the benefit of all land surveyors, whether you're a member or not. And we're talking about all things surveying and all things in SPS. Uh, this is our last segment. Uh, so, Kurt, um, I'd like to introduce you as well as an advisory member of the N- Nettleman Institute of Land Surveying Engineering Technology. And uh, can you tell us more about
2: what you do as an as a IAC member? Well, uh, I guess the question would, should have been, what, what, what will I do? Because I'm, new. <laughs> but but my understanding is that that you have a group of people that uh, that you reach out to or engage with uh, both individually and collectively uh, to talk about the program, what it's trying to do, and uh, look for ways to make it stronger and make it more appealing. Uh, make sure that uh, you're getting perspective from a number of different places to say uh, not just. One or two people, but a whole group of people who can, can give you some, some context, if you will, of, okay, how is what this particular thing, how is that going to apply? Uh, what benefit is it going to be to that practicing person out there? Um, all of us are either are or have been in practice, so we kind of understand what those dynamic, what the, the whole dynamic is. So I just see it more as, uh, uh, an advisory group that helps you, determine the path you want to follow and, and the path that your students say they want you to follow that's a great
0: explanation uh, education and knowledge without the ability to use it is totally worthless and uh, i know i've gotten really frustrated over the years because uh... some of the surveying programs around the country even accredited programs you know produce graduates without practical skills to apply and uh, I made the Nettleman Institute so that we could get, you know, the knowledge required for to be a great practicing surveyor for really the rest of your life uh, with continuing education included. But you know, I tried to get all the instructors who have practical knowledge of surveying not just have a degree and having a kind of a, an information corridor between the instructors, the administrators, and practicing surveyors is so important because you guys tell us what we need to know. And that's how we build the curriculum from practical knowledge and practical requirements from people like you.
2: Yeah, and I know that a lot of the schools, I, I can't say that all of them do, the, the brick and mortar schools do have advisory boards. As a matter of fact, I sit on a couple of them. Um, And my experiences are that that level or that type of input that you're asking for um, may not be utilized as much in the other programs as it is more about programmatic kind of things. You know, uh, how do we get students? How do we raise money? How do we do this? How do we do that? Maybe more so than what should our curriculum look like. Um, And I won't say that's devoid. It does exist. But... Um, I, I think it's really important to have that as a really vibrant part of whatever group of people we're going to have as advisors.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, with, in a big program, the goals for the profession sometimes get kind of muddled because you know it's always you know meet your budget, get the number of students in, collect the number of money, and then is and keep doing that to grow and grow. Because if you're not growing students, then you'll be shut down very shortly, I can almost promise you. And that's happened to many surveying programs over the past decade. So, you know, institutions are living creatures, and if they're not growing, they're not going to exist much longer. So that's usually the topic
2: of these IAC meetings. Yes, that's correct. And, and, so, and it's, not in, it's not invalid. It's something you have to do. But but it doesn't necessarily accomplish what you've been talking about. Absolutely,
0: another weird thing with these a lot of programs, even at ones I've worked with, there's really been no or very little interaction with state societies. You know, maybe uh, a professor goes to the annual meeting once per year or other things. But having that back and forth between the profession and the academic program is usually. Uh, you know pretty small I know when I've interviewed with these positions as a professor that's the first thing they like to hear is I'm licensed because I'll fit in
2: with you know the professional crew All right yeah I, I think you're right and you know the, the state societies are also really good about um, most states have a scholarship program even if they don't have a school in their in their state <laughs> you know and and that's a, that's a good thing I know uh... Um, in Virginia, we don't really have a program now the way we did in the past, uh, but East Tennessee State has that uh, cooperative agreement with the states that, that surround it. So our state society actually helps support that program with scholarships, and, and that's one of the good things that the state societies have done. And, and it actually is great because we have a scholarship program as well, but uh, having all those, those states with their own programs for scholarships helping to draw people in and bring them into the universities to, uh, to get that education and then be able to continue to stay there. As you know, it's not an inexpensive proposition.
0: Yeah, you're right. And it's such a, a symbiotic relationship between the national society, state societies, universities. We all have to work together and have kind of a, a single message to get the next generation of surveyors educated licensed experienced and uh that's kind of what nsps does is is help craft that message and provide it to everyone so we can all work together
2: exactly yeah and of course the other the other piece that we play um that we didn't really talk a whole lot about is uh, you you mentioned early on the advocacy part where you know we're dealing with uh, with the federal government and uh, we actually now have an official uh, mechanism through which we also track state legislation. Um, and then a lot of the states are really good at tracking it on their own, and that's fantastic. Uh, but this is a service that can happen through the same service we use for the federal uh, research, and it really doesn't cost a ton of money. So it just helps us not only from the perspective of be able to say to state ABC. Uh, We found out about this. We're not sure if you know about it, Hey, but if you did, that's great, but if you didn't, that's also great. But it also helps us in uh, our messaging and what we're looking at uh, in terms of what may be coming down the pike because you see uh, things happen sometimes at the state level that feeds its way on to to the federal level eventually. So it's good for our own purposes, but it's also good for us being able to reach out and help the states when they want it or need it. I agree, and I remember uh, I was a student, PhD
0: student at University of Florida, maybe about ten years ago, and uh, the Republican governor was decided to deregulate land surveying completely in Florida. And I know that NSPS worked pretty closely with the Florida Society to stop that bill. Uh, and this is where we're going. You know, a lot of professions are being deregulated, and uh, I think there'll be a, a big discussion. Um, both in our profession and in the government, as to whether land surveying will be licensed.
2: Right, and, and the other th- the other piece of that is uh, the cross border licensure. You know, we we've, we've always had yeah, you need to be licensed in our state, and if you're going to come in, you're licensed somewhere else. At least you got to take some level of a state specific exam. Um, but now there's a, a lot of pressure coming from different areas, from some states that figure that are saying, well, you know, we're restricting trade, we need to let anybody come in, and they don't really understand the peculiarities that could, re- that it could exist in a profession like ours from one place to another. So uh, sure. that's another thing that we deal with on a, on a regular basis.
0: That's great. I, you are basically a subject matter expert. I know that a friend of mine in New Mexico, when the sunset was on for the licensing there, he went and he testified, he's a professor at New Mexico State, but he testified in front of the New Mexico legislature and explained to them why surveying was so important. And because of his testimony, or partially because of it, they kept surveying as a profession. So, you know, you guys are the ones who are kind of protecting us, I guess we should say.
2: Right. And and I've said this on when I was on a radio show so many times, with all the technology we got now, you know, with GIS and GPS and everything else out there to gather data and process data and catalog data. Um, you know, when the, when the rubber meets the road, uh, dealing with land parcels is still a puzzle. All the pieces have to fit. And um, accurate measure or precise measurement is not always accurate in terms of where it ought to be. So, you know, that that's a big thing that's hard to get across to people, and particularly in today's environment, just because of, hey, we can get it in, you know, 20 decimal places, so it's got to be absolutely perfect. And and it may be from a precision perspective, but not for an accurate one. So that's another big role for us as surveyors in general, not just us as a a society.
0: Absolutely. I know uh, a professor that went to the Sages meeting a couple years ago, the surveyors, educators, he did a piece on how technology has progressed in land surveying over the past 500 years, and it's like an exponential curve. And we're undergoing so many changes as a profession right now; it's really disorienting. Uh, and being able to um, keep our profession and our kind of uh, mindset, and also change with all this new stuff, is is a is a tough. So yeah, that's why we have these organizations to be able to evolve and not
2: lose our identities. And that's why it's also important that we have. Um, those really active and, and uh, strong state societies, but at the same time working as a whole on a national level so that we come with a, uh, a unified voice and not, not, a, not one that's, that's disparate. I agree. And another
0: interesting thing about the relationship between NSPS and the state boards is, you know, state boards are created to protect the public They're not made to help land surveyors, but there are land surveyors on the board. And, you know, you want a board that protects the public in terms of good quality surveys, but you also, on the other end, don't want a board that's a bully. And there are some states that are, you know, they throw around their weight like a gorilla trying to uh, punish, like, um, property appraisal companies or other kinds of... Geospatial companies, and you know where is that fine line between protection versus uh,
2: you know um, inappropriate behavior? Right, and and the only way you're actually going to be able to address that is by having those professionals there. You 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 can't just say hey, all this technology is out there, everything's cool, and um, we're we're good to go on everything without having that understanding and. and and knowledge, actually, from those licensed members who understand the professions themselves and what they each mean and what they're supposed to be representing. Um, And and without that being part of the board, it seems like it would just be an impossibility to, to serve the purpose for why they were intended to begin with.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, without land surveyors being on the board and using some common sense, it would just be administrators enforcing arbitrary rules, which doesn't sound like any fun, but that could be an entire discussion for a radio hour. It would be, <laughs> yeah. what is the purpose of the board, and you know what do they do now? Because being licensed in eight different states, I realize that every state board has its own personality. It, they're sweet and they're friendly because a nice girl runs it, and she's super sweet and friendly. And there's others who just... It's like, you know, I don't know, like getting your tooth extracted if you want to get some basic help. So it's interesting how an organization takes on the personality of the people who run it.
2: Yeah, that's very true. Very true.
0: But we've only got a few minutes left, so can you tell us about, you know, what NSPS is doing right now? What kind of cool stuff do you have
2: going on? Well, one of the big things we're working on now is the international conference we're going to be hosting in 2023 in Florida. Um, we had hoped to host the 2022 FIG international meeting because the, they operate sort of like our federal government does. They change presidents every four years. And so, well, we don't change, but we elect new, <laughs> we elect a president every four years. <laughs> and, and so, um, they have a conference, an international conference every year. But on the years when they're not transitioning officers, it's called a working week, and so the number of people who show up for those is less than the when they do the changeover. But they still have they still bring a few thousand people. So um, we didn't get twenty twenty two. They decided to go to South Africa, where they currently don't have any water. But we'll see how that works out. Um, <laughs> but we did we did get Florida. Oh, so we're going to be in Orlando in twenty twenty three. It'll be a great meeting, and all the agencies that we've been talking about, the federal agencies, are going to be there helping us, and there'll still be a lot of conversation about 2022. So uh, I'm really excited about it. I, I Tony, think I'm going to have
1: to interrupt, and uh, we're out of time. I, we didn't sink our watches or something, but uh, I want to thank you for taking over the realms of the Land Surveyors Hour. And, Kurt, good hearing your voice again, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more Land Surveyors Hours. Again, Tony, thank you.
0: Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.